Hello, I'm Gavin, and this is Let's Govern, a podcast where I interview politicians, activists, and community leaders. Today, I talked to Austin Madrick, the District Director for Illinois State Representative Mark Walker. Listen as I talk to Austin about his interest in politics, Illinois redistricting, and the PAC that he started. So, of course, I want to talk about your PAC that you started. Um, but first, I want to learn a bit more about, you know, why you did get involved um, in politics. You know, what really sparked your interest? Sure. Yeah. So um, I've always had an, an interest in, in politics and in, in public life since probably about seventh grade or so. Um, you know, going into seventh grade and then especially eighth grade was 2007, 2008. So that was the lead up to the 2008 election, right? President Obama, then Senator Obama had arrived on the scene. It was a very exciting time uh, in American politics, to say the least, right? Um, and and that was just something keenly that, that I had an interest to. Um, it, it sounds kind of corny to say out loud a little bit, I think, but, um, you know, I my parents always, you know, reinforced for me and my siblings that, you know, doing public service or, or at least helping people being there for your neighbor is a really important thing. And so I think that's one of the things that started me down the path. And then all of the excitement of the 2008 election kind of sucked me in. And I just started learning more and more from there. Um, you know, had uh, eventually came out at a certain point in high school. Uh, and so that took on a, a new flavor for me because it became not just, you know, advocating for positive change, but then also took on a more personal element for me, right? Uh, and then that just followed its way through, uh, you know, getting more and more involved throughout high school, eventually in college, uh, helping out with some campaigns and doing stuff like that, and kind of, you know, set me on the course to where we are now. So, so I'm curious, you know, did you volunteer for any local Democratic Party, the Coles County Democrats in high school, or what, what ways did you, you know, volunteer to get politically involved? Or, yeah, it wasn't so much actual volunteering. I didn't do so much in high school. Um, it was involved in some other community stuff through uh, church groups and stuff like that. But it was really once I was in college, had gotten more uh, invested with with folks in Coles County Democrats and really just met a lot of them. Right. Mm -hmm. um, I, I really uh, kind of the launch for me was in 2016, uh, when the state was undergoing its budget impasse, you know, when uh, then Governor Rauner and uh, the legislature were at a stalemate over um, passing a budget for well over a year. Um, I was at Eastern Illinois University at the time, right? And so Eastern, like all of the other public universities in the state, uh, there was a serious open question whether or not some of them were going to have to close their doors because they simply weren't getting any funding from the state, right? And so we, uh, I got together with a couple other classmates of mine in the political science department at Eastern, um, some professors and, and some alums uh, who were involved with Coles County Dems uh, and put together an organization called Fund EIU and kind of launched an advocacy effort um, to, to try and move the needle if we could at all. Um, on, you know, getting state funding so universities wouldn't close. From there, uh, you know, then was on the uh, campaign team for the Democrat who ran in the state representative race at that point. And that was really, you know, when I was fully in on uh, on, on some Coles County and an area, central Illinois, you know, downstate Illinois politics. Um, so, yeah. Mm -hmm. So, for, you know, for listeners who, you know, aren't fully aware of, you know, Fund EIU, 
Um, so how did that go? What was, you know, the, the goal of it? Did it achieve its goal? And also like, what was your position in that organization? Sure. Um, so Fundy IU was, was the definition of a grassroots quote unquote, you know, mm-hmm. sort of effort just described a little bit how it came together. Right. Uh, but the ultimate goal was to try and, and leverage getting state funding for universities. Uh, we were in the throes of the budget impasse, right, uh, with no end in sight. Uh, and Eastern, I think, at that point had already laid off a couple hundred people. Um, I might might be getting the numbers a little wrong there, but, mm-hmm. uh, but a, a substantial amount of employees, right, they had laid off because of budget concerns. Uh, and, and universities across the state were in a similar position. So we, um, you know, formed, formed this organization really with the immediate goal of having a rally on campus to try and and drive the narrative and to show Springfield and and our local lawmakers uh, that this was a dire situation that needed to be changed. Um, Pretty proud of the fact that, you know, in about a week, week and a half's time, we were able to put together um, life, at the time at least, what we were told was the largest rally that had ever been held on campus in in, in Eastern's history that anyone could remember at least, Um, you know, and, and transition that momentum from local stuff to lobbying efforts in Springfield. We joined in on a a massive lobbying day demonstration when a bunch of the public sector unions um, who were experiencing all of the same, you know, funding concerns uh, lobbied, you know, a number of legislators in Springfield and and things like that. So, you know, I I think we did kind of push the message out there um, about how important funding was for universities uh, and to get a budget, frankly. Mm-hmm. Um, but, it, but it transcended just from the university itself because you, know, you being from the area know just how important of an economic engine Eastern mm-hmm. is. Yeah. Whole, people were losing their jobs. Right. And so it wasn't just the students concern. It was also uh, one for uh, concern for the community. And, you know, there are a number of public regional uh, universities going through the same thing across the state. So um, in terms of my role there, just kind of help with, with whatever organizing efforts um, that were needed. Did a lot of outreach on campus and stuff like that. Um, I was also the resident townie on the, uh, on the, of the group being born and raised in Charleston, <laughs> right? So mm-hmm. I had a little bit more community connections that we tried to leverage. Um, but yeah, it was kind of, I consider where I, I, I uh, cut my teeth, so to speak, in, uh, in politics through those That's- efforts. So. That's really cool. Who was the Democrat that you um, volunteered for? Originally, it was Dennis Malik, um, mm-hmm. who was uh, at the time, I'm not sure if he still is, uh, an employee at Eastern. Um, and so he saw firsthand a lot of uh, a lot of the challenges we were going through, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and challenged uh, then State Representative Reggie Phillips uh, for mm-hmm. the state rep seat. Um, I'm proud to say that that I think is one of the highest turnouts Democrats ever had at the state rep level. Mm. Um, and a lot of it was, you know, this is 2016, right? Mm-hmm. So top of the ticket was a huge concern. <laughs> also, uh, there was all the energy, uh, you know, more at the local level around um, around university funding and, and stuff like that. And just the crisis the state was in at the time. So it was a, a banner year for turnout, right? Um, mm. But uh, but still ran, you know, we lost, obviously, <laughs> uh, as a Democrat is most likely going to do, unfortunately, uh, in those parts. Um, but uh, but still, you know, ran a, a fairly impactful race, we thought. So, so do you think it's possible for a Democrat to win um, in some of these downstate conservative districts? 
Yeah, you know, this is something that I have wrestled with a lot. Uh, you know, I live in the suburbs of Chicago now, mm-hmm. but before I had moved up, um, had spent a lot of time asking myself that same question, right? Uh, and mm-hmm. and and where the I think pre twenty sixteen, there there was a chance folks could get pretty close. Uh, I think it has to take a a very different type of strategizing and campaigning than is often seen downstate. It would take a conservative Democrat, right, to get it done. There's no doubt about that. Um, But kind of post-Trump era of politics and just seeing how consistently the district and and really downstate Illinois generally uh, has shifted to not just Republican, but you know, staunch, hardcore conservative that uh, unfortunately right now, I don't think a Democrat could win down there. Um, that might change, you know, in our in our lifetime, hopefully so, um, because the political winds are always changing. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, but yeah, it's a, it's a pretty red, pretty red part of the state. <laughs> so, of course, um, you work um, for Representative Mark Walker now. What is it like working for um, a state representative? It's, it's a lot of fun. You know, uh, I, I tell people a lot that there's never a dull moment, right? I mean, mm-hmm. uh, just just today, um, for example, was helping a number of uh, constituents with various issues they have, you know, regarding the state, unemployment, other things, which has been a, a huge fiasco, to say the least, during the pandemic, as I'm sure you've probably heard. Uh, mm-hmm. But then, you know, it was ending my day with, we got outreach from a constituent who uh, wanted to see Illinois uh, passed a certain law and, you know, had, had done some background research, found mm-hmm. out, you know, that uh, law is not on the books, talked about it with my boss, and now we're currently going through the steps of potentially drafting and uh, researching, then potentially drafting and filing legislation. So, you wow. know, it's, it's, a, it's an awesome range for someone who's really interested in, uh, in politics. The thing I like the most about it is I get to see, fairly closely at least, uh, the nuts and bolts of how government actually works and mm-hmm. the the shift from campaigning to governing and the things mm-hmm. that are similar and the things that are different in those two things, you know. That's really cool because like you're really having a front row seat to like, government and how you can help people um, and how government can work. Of course, um, you're from Coles County. Um, you went to Charleston High School, like right. I'm a senior right now. Um, <laughs> so why did you decide to move to um, you know, the suburbs of Chicago? I believe, is it near Arlington Heights? Yeah, I am in Arlington Heights now. Yeah, um, it was for work. You know, I finished grad school at Eastern, uh, did my undergrad and grad school in political science at Eastern and finished that and was just, you know, on, on the hunt for a job uh, mm-hmm. and eventually actually got um, in connection with the Illinois House Democrats. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they have a program where... Um, they will for certain what they call vulnerable quote unquote districts. Um, so swing districts, right? Uh, they will sometimes embed a staffer in uh, the office for that representative to do solely community outreach stuff. Uh, and so I ended up getting a job like that. And that was how I was placed originally uh, with the representative that I work for now, uh, just doing community outreach work. And so moved up here, uh, have family in mm-hmm. suburban, you know, in suburbia, not yeah. necessarily in the Northwest suburbs here, but so was always a little familiar with it. And, uh, and moved up and eventually after about a year and a half or so uh, doing that solely community outreach role, moved over full time with the representative as district director. And so that's the, mm-hmm. the position that I have now. But uh, yeah, works works what took me up here. So. <laughs> so was it something where, you know, you wanted to work for a representative that was, you know, near Chicago or would you have also been willing to work for someone, you know, more downstate? 
Yeah, I certainly would have been open to to working for a rep downstate. Um, and and in fact, kind of at the beginning of uh, of the transition, um, mm-hmm. I don't want to say that I was I wasn't upset to move up north, right? But you mm-hmm. know, downstate's what I knew. It's where I grew up. It was home. Yeah. So uh, was and, and was a little excited about the challenge of how do you organize Democrats downstate? Because as we were just talking about, that's something that. I'd given a decent amount of thought to and, and mm-hmm. effort to, right? Yeah. Uh, but very quickly learned that, you know, um, my boss flipped this seat. He's the first Democrat to ever hold uh, this state rep seat. Mm. That story is very true from 2018, you know, to present for a lot of um, uh, districts, state house districts at least, uh, but some congressional as well uh, here in suburban Chicago, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it became very apparent that, Suburban Chicago is one of the best places to be if you are a fan of the game that is politics, oftentimes, mm. right? If if actually doing the outreach work and campaigning and things like that, moving the needle is mm-hmm. what you like to do. It's a really exciting place to be mm-hmm. um, solely for the reason that we're riding the wave uh, and trying to contribute to making those changes ourselves, mm-hmm. right? So it's been some. Yeah. So my next question um um, it's about gerrymandering in Illinois. Um, I don't know if you know mm-hmm. you're too much familiar with the current um, new maps sure. for legislative district districts. Um, so yeah, what are your thoughts on them? If, if if you are familiar, if not, we can skip this question. Of course, I just wanted to throw it in here. No, yeah, that's a it's a great question. It's one we could do a whole separate podcast episode. I know <laughs> but, uh, people certainly have. You know, I think just generally speaking, at least, if, if that's the question on, on gerrymandering. Just generally speaking, like basically, the new districts. Um, I know it was a pretty messy process here in Illinois with yep. not choosing what data to use, ACS versus census data, um, that kind of stuff. Right. Yeah, um, no, you're exactly right about that. Um, <laughs> at least in terms of the, the state house data, you know, state legislative data uh, and maps. I, really, I, I think the, the question folks really need to ask themselves when, when we talk about gerrymandering and you know what, what is a gerrymander, what isn't, what's a fair map, what isn't, is literally that question. What is a fair map? You know, um, I think a lot of people tend to look at places like Iowa or other places which can draw neat squares for their maps, right? <laughs> because their population's more diffuse. You know, it's the state's a rectangle anyway, um, and and think that you know aesthetically pleasing maps or, <laughs> or compact districts, right, mean that it's fair. And and I get why someone might think that because if you look at you know you look at a map like Illinois or something where there's squiggles all over the place. You go, how in the world could that possibly be representative, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but in doing a lot of thought about this, I think personally, the most important question that we ask ourselves are is, does the map reflect the partisan nature of those areas, right? So mm-hmm. for example, um, the district that I am currently in um, until the new map goes into effect, at least. Uh, like I said, is mm-hmm. is there's only ever been one Democrat that's held this seat at the state level, right? Yeah. But the partisan politics, the partisan shift is changing around here so that it is now a competitive map, right? It's mm-hmm. a competitive district. Uh, and I think that having a, instead of gerrymandering so heavily that Democrats can have a very easy time getting elected out of these traditionally Republican areas. Instead, what you'll find, and you see it from from the new maps that were passed, uh, is you have competitive districts in these places. 
And that to me is a fairly fair representation of the state, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and to that point, it's the thing that shocks people when you tell them this um, because Illinois, right? But Illinois actually has one of the fairest maps in the nation from the congressional level down to the state house level when you look at things like outcomes on how those districts vote, right? So if you look at, for example, the statewide results from when Governor Pritzker ran in 2018, or for Senator uh, Senator Duckworth or Senator Durbin, you'll find that they're actually pretty pretty even. You know, in the districts that are swing districts, maybe JB only won by fifty two percent or fifty one percent. Maybe he lost, you know, but only got but got forty nine percent of the vote, right? You know, so I think asking what folks mean by a fair map is really the important thing when you're thinking about you know. Uh, thinking about how to answer that question right? mm-hmm. so like when you say um that we should judge a, a map based on um like how they is that what you're like how they vote um yeah or- so if you want to get really in the weeds on it there's a uh, there's a a metric that um folks will use the supreme court has used it i believe when they analyze north carolina's map i think mm-hmm. and i know that state supreme courts have in other in other places uh called the efficiency gap is what it's mm-hmm. called and they basically just look at the number of let's like, say a democrat won in this district right mm-hmm. say jb pritzker won in the 53rd house district which is where i'm at right mm-hmm. uh and you look at the total number of votes that were cast uh for jb and you look at the total number of um of votes overall and look at the partisan breakdown from there right mm-hmm. and so what the efficiency gap measures is essentially how many wasted votes there were for the candidate that won So in a competitive, in a more competitive district, you have a lower efficiency gap score because there were fewer votes that were wasted in getting the person who won over the finish line, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, And in higher gerrymandered areas, that's a very large number, right? Um, So by, I I don't know what the actual efficiency gap number is for for the House district I'm in, but, you know, fairly competitive. It's a smaller number compared to, for example, the 110th where you're at, which, you know, uh, I think in in the most recent state house election, correct me if I'm wrong, went something like nearly 70-30 Republican, right? Mm -hmm. That is a lot of Republican votes that were quote unquote wasted under this metric uh, in order to elect that individual. And so you tally up all of that to look at a state's composite score. Mm -hmm. And by looking at those numbers, Illinois is actually at the top in the nation of the fairest maps uh, that you can find. Mm-hmm. But have you seen um, the new um, congressional maps in Illinois? I have, yeah. What do you think of the 15th district? About how you know it kind of goes all over. <laughs> yeah, it's it's interesting. I, I'll tell you what. I I know you know I'm in touch with folks who are are mapping people, and you know maps mm-hmm. is one of the things they love to do. Uh, and and it has these map this this map that has come out has caused caused quite some consternation among folks Mm -hmm. um it's resoundingly believed to be a first draft uh Mm -hmm. and that there maybe have been other intentions in releasing these lines um but you know the 15 district is is a really interesting one right Mm -hmm. um and and touches on another factor um to consider when we're talking about what a fair map looks like right because even though the 15th is like you know what is it like east central illinois and then curves over into northwest illinois yeah or whatever yeah that um 
folks will often try and consider keeping communities of interest together, right, is what they call mm -hmm. it, uh, which is why you have the little sliver district that runs from Metro East down by St. Louis and connects Springfield with uh, Peoria, I think, and, you know, over into um, Champaign, mm -hmm. because those are all larger cities in Illinois, right, that probably yeah. have a more similar demographic and more similar partisan makeup than if you were to take Springfield and dilute its vote in a sea of red in surrounding rural Illinois, right? Mm -hmm. And so, so that's where those gerrymanders, I mean, it's obviously a gerrymander, right? Um, that's where they get interesting because you have, to, you have to ask yourself, well, you know, if you want to keep communities of interest together to ensure proper representation for them in Congress, Maybe sometimes you have to do things like this. The the best example there, you've got me rolling now on gerrymandering. So <laughs> the best example there, which is one of the ones that's held up from the current maps, mm -hmm. as the one one of the ones folks will look at and complain about the most. You might be familiar with it, is the earmuff district, as they call it. Oh yes, uh, in Chicago, right? Mm -hmm. But the purpose of that is that it connects the southwest side Latino population in Chicago with the northwest side. Latino population in Chicago. Uh, and so it is, that is the seat that is used or the lines that are drawn that are used to ensure that uh, the Latino population, which is a very you know, important and notable population in Chicago has representation in Congress. That is a specific mm -hmm. gerrymander to ensure per the rules of the Voting Rights Act uh, that you know, this important minority population has representation in Congress. So sometimes you can gerrymander in ridiculous ways for actually an important positive outcome. Mm -hmm. right? Yeah, it's crazy because you know, at first glance, you see that earmuff district, you're like, wow, the district's so gerrymandered, but really you know, it's for a good cause. Um, so I think maybe you've seen this article before, but it's from Politico. It's a re recent um, release. And the title is, Illinois Democrats agonize over how much to gerrymander. Um, state legislatures proposed a map last week. National Democrats thought it didn't go far enough. Um, so do you think that the map um, did not go far enough? Do you think that if 2022 has lots of Republican turnout that perhaps some seats could flip to red? Um, yeah, I mean, that's that's the open question right now, right? I mean, uh, far and above anything else, I believe that we should have a fair map, right? Under mm -hmm. under a lot of those guidelines that, that I was talking about um, of, of ensuring proper representation. Um, you know, I, I don't know if I've given it enough thought to really come down one way or the other here necessarily, but um, I don't remember if it's if it's that article. I saw one just today, and I forget the source of it. Um, you know, but was talking about how we have seen in other states around the country where Democrats will try and move forward with independent commissions, mm -hmm. which um, there's there's a decent amount of examples that show those are not always perfect. Also, mm -hmm. um, but going forward with independent commissions to uh, to listen to voters who say they want a fair map, and so they do that. Meanwhile, then Republicans get control of those state legislatures where they draw the maps, or you look at neighboring states where Republicans control them, and they will gerrymander them to the farthest extent humanly possible to shore up their majority, right? Mm -hmm. and, and so when talking about a fair map, I think there is a, a, it gets dirty a little bit, but an important question to ask of what do we, what are the real world ramifications uh, or mm -hmm. I guess I should say in this regard, what are the political ramifications, right, mm -hmm. of 
uh, of that question, right? Mm -hmm. Of yeah. how do you gerrymander? And for sure. and for Democrats, if we have um, policies that we want to adopt, are we just going to roll over and you know keep our fingers crossed that Republicans won't gain control uh, and then do what they've done in Wisconsin or in North Carolina? You know, Wisconsin's a famous case because they frequently Democrats win in. Um, in statewide elections. The mm -hmm. popular vote goes Democrats, but there are state legislatures so horribly gerrymandered that, you know, the, the Democrats are, are depressed there, right? Mm -hmm. So of course, independent redistricting um, commissions are popular in some places. I think California has one. Do you think Illinois should have one? I know that a Republican um, proposed having an independent um, redistricting commission during, you know, the heat of the data messiness that happened. I, Do you think Illinois should have one? Um, I, I mean, I do, right? I, I think that that's the best way. We have a responsibility to communicate to voters that um, that we're not purposefully trying to, you know, draw a bunch of lines that that um, <laughs> are, are super advantageous to us, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, the reality also is that Illinois is going to keep electing super majorities of Democrats in the yeah. House and Senate for years to come, right? I mean, that's mm -hmm. just the political landscape here in the state. But when it comes to an independent commission, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sure you probably know that um, the way the Constitution set up, there is one that technically gets triggered if we don't produce maps by uh, Ju the, the month of the end of June, I believe it is, following mm -hmm. the decennial census being done. With the, right? with the Lincoln top hat, I think, right? That you are exactly right about that. <laughs> yep. uh, with Lincoln top hat and where there is a literal 50-50 chance mm -hmm. uh, if Democrats or Republicans are going to be the ones that have the majority say in that commission, right? Mm -hmm. Now, from, from a Democrat's perspective, that from just a voter's perspective, right? I mean, people want to throw the partisanship into it, but voters in Illinois voted in super majorities of Democrats in the House, the Senate, and in the governor's mansion, right? Mm -hmm. And in a map that is actually one of the fairest in the country, as we've already talked about, right? So to trigger a independent commission as it's currently set up in the Constitution, whereby the Republicans have a 50-50 shot of drawing the maps for the next 10 years, seems to me to go against the will of the voters, right? Um, so then the question is, how do you set up one that doesn't? Right. And mm -hmm. that's where that metrics piece comes back in. You know, uh, we've we've seen evidence from places like California where an independent commission can actually draw a more partisan map in effect than the political party would have. The first I think it was the first year that the California commission was set up. Uh, they did just that. They ended up making a more democratically partisan gerrymandered uh, map than the previous one was. Right. Mm -hmm. So so how do you do it? And that comes entirely down to the metrics question, I think, right? So mm -hmm. if, if we say, you know, we have to come up with a system by which we say, here's the frameworks we need to remain in um, to ensure that this is a fair map, looking at efficiency gap scores, you know, looking at other things that, you know, what the shapes look like can't be the first priority, mm -hmm. for example, yeah. right? Um, but until we're able to actually pass something like that, I would be very wary of, of, creating an independent commission just for the sake of creating an independent commission, because we know that's not an immediate solution, right? Yeah, it's a very complicated solution, considering, you know, it seems so un-American for politicians to choose who they represent, and also, you know, have to balancing how partisan the map is at the end of the day with the independent um, redistricting commission. So yeah, hopefully there's a solution that 
you know, works well um, soon in the next yep. 10 years. Um, so um, I guess we can move on to your most recent project, I think, which is your pack. Um, sure. So could you tell me a little bit about um, the pack you started? Absolutely. Yeah. So we, um, myself, along with some other, um, you know, local LGBTQ residents and, and leaders here in the Northwest suburbs, uh, just recently launched a political action committee called the Northwest Suburban Pride Action Fund, um, with the, the main goal of increasing representation at the local level um, of, of elected officials that actually do care about uh, not only the concerns of their LGBTQ residents, uh, but also about increasing diversity, equity, and inclusion um, mm -hmm. throughout the Northwest suburbs, right? That's a, a huge issue right now and a huge topic. Uh, and unfortunately, in recent months, uh, you know, we have seen uh, too many, in our opinion, local officials uh, that want to give lip service to DEI efforts, to the diversity, equity, and inclusion efforts, um, but uh, but ultimately vote against them any chance they possibly get, right? Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's the experience of myself and unfortunately too many others in the LGBTQ community, right, of, uh, of experiencing a similar thing where people claim that they care about gay rights or they claim that they support LGBTQ people and the community. Uh, and then at every step they have, they, you know, will go against those words. So um, uh, our PAC was created to, to call them on it essentially, to say, we're here. These are the things that we care about. This isn't some outside group or state level group. This is entirely made up of uh, residents of the Northwest suburbs here. And mm -hmm. we're going to make sure that our local elected officials know, you know, how their, uh, how their citizens vote and how they feel. So basically, are you going to like find people to run in um, for these offices? Is that like the whole goal here? Um, the the main focus really is is on the elections itself, right? You know, mm -hmm. if if we can help with candidate recruitment, that's something mm -hmm. I think we'd certainly be open to. Uh, but right now, the main focus is simply on you know when it comes to campaign season, uh, that that we make sure we are you know hitting the ground running, both with financial support, uh, also with volunteers, um, you know, doing screenings of candidates to see which ones we would support uh, and importantly which ones we would oppose right mm -hmm. this isn't this isn't a pack just to support people who agree with us this yeah. is a pack to do everything that we can to ensure those who don't um don't get elected or are unelected from office mm -hmm. right so um of course the 2022 elections are quickly approaching um so what are some races that you know your pack has is looking at right now um yeah yeah, I mean, we we kind of we chose this time to launch because most of the municipal elections are off your elections, right? So it'll be probably twenty twenty three before we have the bulk of ours. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, is this no, pack is this pack only for municipal elections, or it is mostly for municipal? Elections. Oh, I'm sorry, yeah, we're not that. not targeting states up. No, that's perfectly fine. Um, you know, we do have some countywide stuff that's up uh, here in um, I'm in suburban Cook County, and so there mm -hmm. those uh, those positions are pretty important. Um, and, uh, and so we have some that are up there that we'll certainly be looking at. Um, but, you know, the goal really is to, to um, hunker down, do a lot of fundraising as much as we can. Um, certainly, you know, uh, independently help out, you know, the, the folks that we want to see get reelected. Mm -hmm. um, and, then, and then really be ready to go for, uh, for the next municipal elections. Mm -hmm. Sounds like a, gr a great plan. Um, so, of course, you know, I've never started a PAC before. Most people don't start PACs in their lifetime. Right. 
Um, so what's the process with that? You know, getting all, this, all of it started. Um, I'm sure there's a lot of technical things. Um, how has that been? Yeah, um, technical is a good way to describe it, right? I mean, <laughs> uh, if you're gonna if you're gonna check all the boxes, that involves um, you know forming an official committee uh, with uh, with the state board of elections, mm-hmm. uh, which is not the easiest thing probably to navigate the first time around. Thankfully, I have a little experience doing that, so uh, <laughs> so that helps. Um, you know, but it's 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 that it's all the nuts and bolts things of getting it off the ground, right? Of setting up bank accounts and and really doing these really strategy things. But I, I've always found the most important thing to do uh, is to make sure you've got a good inner circle, right? Um, mm-hmm. You know, and, and thankfully I do. We have on our on our kind of advisory committee and as the chairperson of our PAC um, is the first openly LGBTQ person elected here in Arlington Heights. Um, wow. Our One of our uh, commissioners for the board of commissioners for Cook County here is the first openly uh, LGBTQ person elected to the board of commissioners. And he mm-hmm. uh, has been a great advocate and, and on board with the project, you know. So, so getting that experienced inner circle and things like that of, of people who you know are going to be um, great assets moving forward is, is the most critical piece of that, mm-hmm. right? Um, and, and, and something that, you know, packs can range from two to three people, you know, who are just working on a, on a pet project or, you know, a mutual friend of ours, uh, Matt Titus, right. Mm-hmm. Um, was doing a lot of awesome work when I was getting involved, uh, in politics in Charleston with the, uh, campaign to increase the sales tax 1% to yes. support area schools. Right. And that was a very localized effort. Right. Or mm-hmm. you of course have, you know, political action committees that span the state that are taking millions of dollars a year and, and, expend it you know um so but but having that organization i think is is really the critical piece above anything else so does your pack have like a fundraising goal um about how much money you want to raise by the um, 2023 municipal elections Sure. Yeah. You know, our initial goal when we launched was really to just try and drive some grassroots energy and, and fundraising. So we're uh, on track right now to, to try and hit our uh, $5,000 fundraising goal. But, you know, by 2023, um, the Northwest suburbs here in Chicago, where, uh, where we cover, uh, is really for us eight to 10 communities probably we'll be looking pretty heavily at. And so when mm-hmm. you take in the scope of eight to 10 communities, maybe the least of which is the size of Charleston, right? You're talking mm-hmm. at least 20,000 people, um, up to 75,000 here in Arlington Heights where I live. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that's a big scope, right? And, yeah. and we're excited to meet that challenge. So, you know, the hope is that we would be anywhere in the, you know, couple tens of thousands of dollars by the time that we're really ready to go for the municipal elections. Um, and, and, and that's, therein lies a lot of the work why we launched what we did and, you know, are, are aware of the timeline there, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's the goal, yeah. So how does your PAC, um, you know, plan on spending this money? Like, will you create campaign ads, um, give money to the candidates themselves, um, or other things? Yeah, all of the above, really. Um, you know, as a, as a political action committee, um, we can do pretty much everything except for uh, take in an unlimited amount of money and spend an unlimited amount of money, right? <laughs> those are those are super PACs. They're independent expenditure committees, mm-hmm. right? And we didn't want to go that route because it, that's that's your dark money area. And mm-hmm. you know, as I was saying, on the one hand, it's really important for us to be able to say when we're getting involved in these elections that these elections are, or our efforts are by community members here in the Northwest suburbs, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but but also because we recognize that, you know, in municipal elections, even $1,000 to a candidate can can be a game changer for them, 
right? Yeah. Um, you know, even even here in places where I like to think are are a little bit more um, engaged, the voters are a little bit more engaged, maybe than than in downstate. You, you still see the same issues of, you know, you'd see elections where local elections, municipals, where maybe twelve percent of the population comes out to vote. I mean, it's abysmal, right? Yeah. But from a campaign perspective, reaching when you know those are the people that you really need to hit, having, you know, $2,000, $3,000 on hand, whether that's in direct donations or volunteers or ads or mailers or whatever mm -hmm. it is, can really add up, right? Uh, and so that's that's kind of our, will likely be our focus primarily. Mm -hmm. Do you ever foresee, you know, your pack expanding um, to cover, covering races more downstate too? Yeah, you know, that's not something we've given a lot of thought about at this point, mm -hmm. um, primarily just because because uh, we're still moving forward with our, our first run at it, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. Municipals, but I, I could certainly see the need. I do see the need for organizations similar to ours elsewhere in the state. So, you mm -hmm. know, whether that's expanding out our efforts, um, if, if the need is there and we're able to do it down the road, certainly open to that. Um, certainly open to, to consulting or helping folks who, you know, share a similar goal, try and, uh, try and accomplish their efforts wherever they are in Illinois, right? Because at the end of the day, the thing that, that I think maybe sometimes people get hung up on, um, on the process of it all and in the campaigning and all of mm -hmm. that and lose sight of the fact that what we're really talking about here is holding local officials here uh, in our area to account. Mm -hmm. They have claimed that they support DEI efforts, right? Uh, I mean, one of the kind of the straw that broke the camel's back for, for the group that I'm involved with was mm -hmm. um, my village here, Arlington Heights, uh, passed its first ever pride ordinance in June of this year, celebrating LGBTQ Pride Month, which was a huge deal. Mm -hmm. And we were very celebratory of that. And then not even a month later, uh, a majority of the board, including the mayor, uh, signed an ordinance, passed an ordinance that would ensure that a pride flag could never be flown anywhere on village property. Oh Not gosh. even a month after they uh, made this proclamation in support of the LGBTQ community, oh right? Gosh. And and anybody who even tangentially knows anything about the LGBTQ community knows how important representation and and visible representation is, right? Mm -hmm. And and that's when we said, well, we've got to do something about right because we're not going to let folks anymore continue to to run on and get elected on promises that they obviously don't intend to keep and that's not just an issue here in the north of the suburbs to your point right that's an issue everywhere for for local uh, potentially for local elected so you know if if the need is there down the road and the ability is there i'm, I'm sure that's something we'd consider but you know this is also my pitch to encourage folks who can and are able to 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 get more involved right and to, to try and make a change happen if they uh, if they really see the need for it. Yeah, that's a great message. Um, well, your example is really striking. Like that's, sounds like such a hypocrisy there. Um, I'm curious, like, what, what was the backlash there? Um, once this happened, like how did they respond? Um, yeah. Yeah, um, so it was kind of in the context of uh, this was this year was also the first year the number of our neighboring communities also had had done a similar thing right had passed proclamations mm -hmm. for pride month for the first time uh but we saw you know one of 
uh, our towns, you know, pretty close next door did fly a pride flag on their at their city hall mm-hmm. um, during June. Others, you know, signed proclamations and then said, well, we're not actually going to fly a pride flag at city hall, but we'll allow it at the library or we'll allow it at this park or, you know, whatever. And and it, it really in reflecting on it and in the response to a lot of these things. We just said, you know, that's obviously not good enough, right? Mm-hmm. Because because if you're going to say that these things are important to you, I, I, I think it's a pretty reasonable expectation that you do it, right? I mean, that's mm-hmm. how yeah. much of how much of being in politics and being an elected official is running on a platform of things you're you say you're going to do and then following through if you have the ability to do that, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so here in Arlington Heights, for example, when they passed, um, you know, the, the ordinance that limited what flags could fly on village property, um, that was entirely in response to a request to fly the pride flag and, mm-hmm. and shows you, like you, I think you said, you know, the hypocrisy of some of the people on this board, right? Um, who in, in the entire history of Arlington Heights, the city's been incorporated since the late 1800s. Mm-hmm. There have been two requests to fly specific flags on village property in the village's entire history. Two. Mm-hmm. One of them was, I think, in the early 1900s. And the second one was this year for the pride flag, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was very obvious that this was to ward against what uh, what members of the board, at least, uh, thought was a step too far. And so I, I really can't help but question, and thankfully, a lot of other residents here in town really started questioning um, mm-hmm. what, what that really showed on their part, if that was a bridge too far for them, right? And mm-hmm. they would sign a proclamation, but they wouldn't actually walk the walk. They talked the talk with the proclamation, but they wouldn't walk the walk. So we had a protest, you know, here in Arlington Heights mm-hmm. uh, after, after the... Um, ordinance was passed um, that the many local elected officials attended, um, you know, and, and that is kind of set the stage in many ways, uh, not only for us, but in surrounding communities as well, uh, for really standing up and saying, this is a priority for us. And, and we just want to make sure that those efforts don't go unnoticed, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I'm sure this pack is going to help, you know, hopefully change things. Um so what are some other examples um, of this happening um, in the Northwest suburbs? Yeah, so, um, you know, Arlington Heights was was the only one that passed this ordinance. Um, but mm-hmm. we saw, you know, uh, our, our neighbors out to the west a little bit in McHenry County, which is one of the other uh, larger uh, collar counties of, mm-hmm. in suburban Chicago. Um, one of their, the members of their county board brought a resolution that was exactly the same as Arlington Heights is to their county board which would say that it, thankfully, uh, you know, clearer heads prevailed in that situation and they ultimately mm-hmm. tabled that ordinance and didn't pass it. Um, but if it had passed, that would take it from, you know, one not insubstantial community here in Arlington Heights of 70,000 plus residents to one of the largest counties in the state. And it's a direct one-to-one, right, of, of what Arlington Heights did having a ramification elsewhere, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, in other places here in the Northwest suburbs, like I said, you know, we had a lot of municipalities who um, who signed ord- uh, proclamations supporting Pride Month, but wouldn't then fly a pride flag directly on uh, village property or city hall or anything like that, right? They, they tuck it away somewhere else, mm. um, which which for me as a member of the LGBTQ community, you know, feels a lot like trying to push us 
back in the closet a little bit, right? To, to hide that visibility. Um, you know, their, their efforts still going to, to try and get more and more municipalities in our area to sign pride proclamations, to, to be more um, open and, and proud of doing these sorts of things. We had a lot of them in the Northwest suburbs that did proclamations that recognized Pride Month in other ways, hung banners maybe, uh, but we had some that didn't do any of that, right? Mm -hmm. um, from our perspective, it's a pretty easy and simple thing to do, uh, but reflects the larger commitment to those DEI efforts, right? Um, and, and that's something that we wanna, we wanna push forward. Yeah, so is there like a website that people can go on to to help donate to this pack? Yeah. yeah, that would be awesome. Uh, you can check us out. Our website is nwspride.com. So like Northwest Suburban Pride.com, but nwspride.com. Uh, we have a Facebook page that's NW Suburban uh, Pride Action Fund. Uh, there are links on both of those for uh, the website that we use to donate. If folks are interested, we super appreciate any dollar that folks can give. Um, yeah, and follow us on social media and stuff like that. This is such a great pack and I'm super excited, you know, to see you know, how it goes in the future in 2023. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm sure it'll be great. Um, but thank you, so, thank you. thank you so much, Austin, um, for, you know, coming on the interview, for talking with me about, you know, your um, progression through politics, you know, gerrymandering, and finally, of course, um, the pack you created. And that's the podcast. Thank you so much for listening.